Hello, listeners, and welcome to the lockdown series of the British Academy of Jewelry podcast. I am Sophie Boons, and today I have invited two fantastic guests to join me in a remote discussion on how we can navigate the new reality we face, in particular about marketing, promotion, and also displaying our work. With many fairs cancelled, galleries and museums still closed, the usual way we present the network are still unavailable. I therefore have invited Rachel Taylor and Andrew Martinuk, the founders of the Jewelry Cut and both active members in the jewelry field, to reflect on this challenge. Welcome, Rachel and Andrew. Hi, thank you for having us. <laughs> Rachel, Andrew, to start, could you both tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are? I'm Andrew, co-founder of the Jewelry Cut with Rachel. Been in the industry for about 10 years. So I worked for ITP and helped to launch Professional Jeweler and Watch Pro magazine. From leaving there, I started helping different companies in the industry and brands uh, help to get out to market. So whether that's through sales, marketing, social media and different things like that. Um, and much, much of my story is sort of intertwined with Andrew's. Um, I joined the industry just a little bit before he did, um, but we met at a professional jeweler magazine. I was the editor there and helped to launch it and also watch Pro Magazine as well. And then when I left, I went on to be a freelance journalist, writing specifically about jewellery and occasionally about watches as well for lots of different magazines, industry magazines, uh, newspapers like the Financial Times. And then also Andrew and I got together, as he mentioned, to launch the Jewellery Cup, which has been an exciting adventure over the last couple of years. You both are now the driving force behind the Jewellery Cut, and both of you have been very active in the jewellery industry before. What attracted you to jewellery? For me, it was it was a kind of a complete accident, to be totally honest. I always I like jewellery as a consumer, I, I suppose, as everybody does. Um, but I was actually working for, um, I've always been a journalist, and I was working for another magazine called Retail Week, which was a business magazine that focused on all different types of retail. But within that same company, there was also a magazine called Retail Jeweler, which I'm sure lots of your listeners are familiar with. And a job came up there and I was looking for a move. So I went and met the team, liked it, took the job. And from then, I just I actually I fell in love with the people first. I just found the industry, especially going into it as somebody who didn't know a lot about jewellery. I just found that everybody was so welcoming and so generous with their time. And that really sort of sucked me in first, uh, really getting into the community. And it's almost after that I've kind of picked up the knowledge and really started to fall in love with the craftsmanship side of it or the gemology side of it. And for me because of the way that's been done I just feel like I'm, I'm still sort of learning every day which is what sort of keeps me captivated with jewellery. Oh, interesting and what about you Andrew? Yeah I would say a bit by luck as well so it was from being in marketing and advertising and joining ITP actually the first magazine I launched for them was in intimate apparel so laundry and swimwear and had great success in that and then I got asked to step onto Jeweler and help progress that as well. And I think, again, buying into the people, I think it's a close industry. There's some great people in it. And I bought into that side. And I bought into designers as well. I really bought into the story if someone had made it in this particular way or that particular way, I'd get sucked in. I'd end up buying the piece of jewellery. And then, I don't know, when I left the magazine, it could have been easy to go into a different sector again, but I've fallen in love with it. So I stuck around and still here. 
Would you say that this connection we all have with each other and the close-knit community that's part of the jewelry industry is quite unique and not, not this doesn't happen in any other industry as much? Yeah, for me personally, because um, I've worked in different fashion sectors as well, so I've been across menswear and lingerie. I, f- I felt when I was in the lingerie industry and going to business-to-business events, not as many of the bigger groups or companies were as open with each other as sharing ideas. Whereas if you come into jewellery, you have a lot of different trade associations, buying groups. Um, so it's quite open. And that discussion has opened up even more over the last couple of years. And I, yeah, if I look back, I don't think other sectors are as open with each other as, as jewellery or as closely connected. I, I would definitely agree with what Andrew said. I've I've written about other industries as well um whether that's kind of i don't know i've written about gifts and homeware and food and lots of different things like andrew said there's a real sense of almost like quite fierce competitiveness in those industries which you know in in jewelry at the end of the day everybody would prefer that somebody bought their ring over someone else's and actually in the in the sort of more commodity side of the jewelry industry products can be quite similar so you'd expect i don't know fiercer competition but one of the reasons I believe why is because it's a craft and it's such an, an ancient craft. I feel people pull together almost to protect that side of it as well. And that's kind of what unites people to sort of keep this alive. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say it's quite a unique thing. Um, definitely a lot more friendly than fashion. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think the craftsmanship of jewellery and the fact that these skills, if we don't share them, will die um, is something that certainly pulls us together. It's really interesting to think about that. As mentioned, you both are working hard on the many facets part of the jewellery cut. Could you tell us a little bit more about the jewellery cut and how anyone could engage or stay up to date with what is going on? Um, we're, we're quite noisy, so it's quite, <laughs> I'm going to say it's quite easy to keep track of what we're doing. Um, we obviously, we're very active on social media, so all our handles are just the jewellery cut and we have a website called jewellerycut.com and through that we we feature lots of different stories on gems or trends or people and we have quite a strong focus on contemporary independent designers as well and then also we what's been worked really well for us and people really enjoy is we have two events a year called the jewelry cut live so the they're run during london fashion week and the idea is that we kind of take what we do the whole year round, be that on Instagram or through the website, and we try and replicate that bit in person. So if you've seen us posting about certain designers on Instagram, you can actually come and meet them in real life and see the designs. Or if there's certain topics that we've raised in articles on jewelrycut.com, you can come and hear a live version of that a discussion in the theatre. So it's, and again, just a way to network. Again, it was trying to be a voice and a different voice for our sector where there's a lot of great business to business and trade magazines which do their job which is great but we felt as a voice do a lot of designers or even bigger brands get their name out to end customers how do they find out about them um so that was i think one of the initial things we we needed to do that be that point of difference and then the, the shows have done exactly that as well where there are big important trade shows it's all again it's a bit of a bubble of the industry and the same people meeting up how do we get our voice outside that bubble and get bigger and better awareness everywhere for jewelers designers it's been massive i think we've we had over a thousand people at the last show in february we'd love that again for september which we're working hard on now at the moment and even the website again as a as a business where myself and rachel have had a great following 
hopefully we can use that to promote people more and more. And I, I was only looking at the website stats earlier on. And in the last six months, we've had over 80,000 unique visitors. So, yeah, if we can use that and our following to push these designers out there, I hope we can. It's And I think end customers actually want that. They want to see something different. What you mentioned, kind of the hybrid aspect of it. So we we can take what we see from behind the scenes of the jewellery industry and we open that up to everybody. So the shows um, and also the readership on the website as well, followers and social media, it's a real mix between people who work in the industry who kind of want to see what's happening and are really interested, but also consumers who just love jewellery. And I think before there's been a real there's been kind of like an invisible wall where people feel like you can only talk to the industry at one time um, or you can only talk to consumers at the other time. And for us, I just feel like everything's changing with online and social media. And actually you cannot erect those barriers anymore. So why do that? You know, we, we kind of write in a way that's in depth enough to interest people in the industry, but also it explains things and it's open enough for, I don't know, a new person who's just discovered a love of jewelry to come along and understand. I think that's kind of that is sort of what makes us different as well. And as Andrew said, also just kind of taking these jewelers who don't have the budget of the big luxury Bond Street guys, don't probably get covered as much in trade press because they're not big wholesale brands. And where where do they go? You know, they they don't have the budget for the glossies. They maybe don't have the volume for the trade magazines. So we've kind of created a space where we can just celebrate all the loveliness in the middle. And would you say because you are presenting? during London Fashion Week, which is a different discipline, that idea of presenting at a time when something else is going on is helpful for the promotion of the pieces and the artists? I I think it's about uniting the two, because for me, I feel that London globally is where everybody looks to for jewellery design. So there's lots of hubs around the world for jewellery, but in terms of cool designers, cutting edge things, I feel that everyone looks to London during fashion week there's not a huge focus on fine jewelry which i feel is still part of the fashion industry you know you don't need jewelry it doesn't you know other than maybe a wedding but it doesn't feel a necessity it is fashion you choose jewelry based on looks that you like and your personality so i think the two are totally connected and for us as well what sort of tipped us really into doing this was there used to be an initiative during London Fashion Week, which was the Rock Vaults, which was fine jewellery at Fashion Week, which was really great and always had good designers. But then the funding for that stopped. So suddenly, you know, there's might be costume jewellery, you know, Fashion Week, or there's some fine jewellers who are trying to be part of Fashion Week, but it just wasn't working because they weren't meeting the right buyers. Um, you know, they don't get the sort of consumer exposure side of it because they're not doing catwalk shows. So it's just, for me, I think... If we have such an exciting, creative, fashionable industry as jewellery, as we do in London um, and the UK, I think there should definitely be a representation of that during Fashion Week, which is why we want to do it at the same time to really sort of draw attention to it. And I always felt speaking to designers who would take part during Fashion Week, they, as a jeweller, they felt second best because they would be positioned on (laughs) the ground floor downstairs and hidden away. So, well, yeah, we wanted to say, okay, how can we create a reaction during London Fashion Week, let's get them a great venue, make them a focal point, shout really loud through our platforms. Um, and that's definitely got noticed. So I, I think each one will just get bigger and better. And hopefully we can work with British fashion councils more closely on the next ones coming up. Yeah. The Jewelry Cut is always promoting young designers as well. You really have a focus there. What do you think are the biggest challenges faced by anyone 
entering the jewelry trade and what could they do to be seen in addition to potentially taking part in the jewelry cut i think the the most difficult thing is standing out there's so many designers yeah how do you have that voice how do you do, be different and i i even go back when i was helping british academy of jewelry even two or three years ago and i'd sit with students and but oh, i don't want to show off my work and say someone copies it or this happens but actually you're going to have documented that online on that date if someone did come out with similar you could always have that story but be proactive have a voice use social media do it regularly take great imagery and don't be afraid i think even if it's used to speak to younger designers oh but the press won't cover me but unless you send that press release you don't know that so make sure you're sending them trying it even if it doesn't get picked up that time the next time it might do it's about being positive and proactive and and trying that i spoke to sean lean before lockdown and he, we talked about the challenges of how he got to where he did and it took years everyone thinks oh it just happens like that it doesn't you have to keep knocking on doors um and you'll get the breakthrough you've got to be persistent and positive that's yeah that's the challenge yeah i have a really basic one which is just money <laughs> it sounds it's you know it's um i i think that's such a huge challenge for us you know fine jewelers who say are, have come through the british academy of jewelry and are looking to start out on their own and make their own collections i just think it's such it's a fundamental problem whereas with fashion we can i don't know you could maybe use slightly cheaper materials to do it whereas jewelry you know if you're working in silver and gold it's such a huge investment um, and that's that's part of the reason why the jewelry cut live we always have a, we reserve a space we run a bursary scheme um, where we give away a free stand to an emerging designer and sort of a package of benefits comes with that as well which is generated by the trade so i think it was worth about i don't know seven thousand pounds last time um, and again that's also why we tried to make the jewelry cut affordable for designers to take part in as well it's just such a huge issue and it's a really hard one to fix i think that's the one question that comes up at every sort of talk I'm involved in. And actually when I did the um, British Academy of Jewelry uh, um, graduation ceremony, I remember that most of the questions at the end of that talk were around funding, like how do I get investment? How, how am I supposed to, you know, make my collections? And I do think that is a huge issue. So it's just, I don't know. I know there's lots of initiatives in the trade that are set up to try and, you know, help designers through that period but I think it's just such a hurdle. And I suppose it sort of sorts out who, you know, is prepared to, I think, as we said at the graduation ceremony, you know, eat baked beans for a year in order to get their collections made. Um, or do you go and work for someone else, as lots of designers do? You know, they tend to have, I don't know, maybe work in a jewellery store three days a week and do their collection on the, on the side, which I'm quite established jewellers as well. And I think maybe people don't realise that. I think they look at some brands, like some of the brands who will do our show and think they've made it, but a lot of them are still working other jobs as well as doing this. So I think you really have to have a passion for jewellery to stick with it. Would you say that given the current circumstances and people having looked into alternatives to presenting and thinking about computer-aided design and creating renders instead of finished pieces and trying to promote that, do you think this is something that will take off or that it's just not really right for jewellery to engage with it digitally when it's not really in your hands we we dislike this a lot don't we andrew <laughs> i think this is something we've talked about a lot especially if a brand on instagram put you know a rendered picture of the jewelry up rather than the actual piece 
I think it's promoting it in the right way. It's a, it's a difficult one because I can see it having to, there has to be that mix of it. But I, I always think the render never gives the true final wow factor of the piece. But then if you're a younger designer and have you got the funds to produce that piece to show the person that even a buyer of the shop or the end customer that piece, that is the challenge. But I think a lot more will become digital. I, I think it's fine as part of the design process. You know, if you're obviously using CAD, which I think is great, you know, to show a client, you know, this is what it's going to look like. But I think kind of presenting that as an end product is, I, I just really dislike it quite a lot. I think I'd rather see like a really nice illustration, even if it's quite simple. Um, I think and you see lots of jewelry designers. I mean, luckily, lots of them are really creative and can paint and do amazing paintings and drawings of the designs. Uh, for me, I feel like that connects more emotionally than a computer generated image which i don't know they always look really aggressive i can't quite pin down what i don't like about them but there's just something really aggressive about cad design so for functionality brilliant but for anything more than that i just yeah i'm, I'm not keen rachel as an experienced journalist do you have any tips for designers to get their work promoted in a magazine is it wise to connect with journalists and if so what are the do's and don'ts when sending something to promote to a journalist uh, I, th I think there's there's a number of different ways that you can do it and sort of different levels of engagement I think you know social media is great and I think just connect almost like create yourself a hit list of journalists who you like um, and who specialize in your kind of jewelry follow them on Instagram comment under this stuff so you're just kind of like on their radar quite a bit and also don't be afraid to just message them because like for me my inbox is an inbox of hell so often people will email me um and i never reply and it's not because i'm being rude or anything but it's because you know i get about a thousand emails a day so even just to sit and delete all those and you know most of them are unrelated press releases about I don't know fridges or whatever but just to even sit and go through all that to find the good ones is almost too much of a task and I often just kind of leave it and I know a lot of other journalists feel the same so there's kind of a debate about whether you know it's good etiquette to message somebody on Instagram but I think just do it you know and in terms of actually getting in touch if you've got to, for actual coverage I think the key to this is just great imagery as Andrew spoke about before have that ready to go but also a really well-written press release it sort of explains your brand but also try and hook in maybe with I don't know a current theme which could be a new collection or it could be seasonal I don't know something to do with Christmas or it could be that you've opened a new shop something like that but if you if you aren't confident writing it yourself please try and find somebody who is, you know, if it's a friend or if you're going to pay a copywriter, whatever you're going to do, because I think you sort of only get one shot at these things. And if you send out a press release that just doesn't quite give the journalists what they need, it doesn't really represent you well. You know, in an ideal world, journalists would have loads of times to look at that and be, that's a really crap press release, but looks like an interesting brand and go and investigate. But the problem is that as you know, the size of news desks has reduced and we're all doing a lot more digitally. We just don't have that much time to do that always. So really I kind of think when we're all under time pressures, if it's a brand we don't already know, you kind of need to have that communication with great images, great press release, and then that's going to work really well for you. So it is worth, investing a little bit of money or a bit of time or roping in friends to try and really get that right. Would you say it's recommended that they have a read of what you have written before 
to sort of understand what it is that you cover and so therefore sending only things that are interesting to the right journalists. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice, actually. Um, I think that's good. Mostly, you know, it sounds quite sinister, but research your targets, you know, know what they write about, know who they write for, and try and think about where you can fit in with that, especially if it's something specific. I don't know, say they have a column once a week that's about a new jewelry designer, you know, almost like pitch yourself for that column and keep an eye on their social media because sometimes journalists will say what they're working on. Like they might say, oh, you know, I'm working on a story about I don't know you know pear-shaped diamonds and if that's you and you have something you know put yourself forward and also just put yourself forward as maybe an expert as well if they write stories that quote other people you know it's just about making yourself available and responding quite quickly as well because as we mentioned time pressures but yeah I think that's that's absolutely great just to kind of know maybe kind of imagine where you would fit into in that magazine or where you'd fit into in that website and pitch for that sort of specific angle. Andrew, question for you. You are currently looking after the BAJ social media and you do so for other brands. What makes a social media platform for a brand successful? I think a lot of people worry about posting too much. And I've always said, no, as long as the content is good enough and it's varied enough. So I think people shy away, say no, because I'm bombarding someone. But I I've never thought of it that way. If you say you've got a sales message and you're selling a product and it's new out, but then you can have a bit about the design process, then people are quite interested in designers. So then it can be a bit about you and, and so on. And then mix up, create a schedule and mix it up. So it's varied. So it's not always sell, sell, sell. And then like, like we spoke about earlier, imagery is vital. And over the years, the amount of low res stuff that I see on, I'm like, yep, that piece is so amazing, but you're not doing it justice. Don't do it. Take the time and the effort. And camera phones are good enough. Now, I know Leo probably mentioned that on his podcast recently. And video content, over the last few years, it's I think it's up above 90% now, the amount of stuff viewed online, whether that's on website or viewed via social. So, And again, when you're making a piece and seeing what goes into it, that story is told through that. If the person's looking to buy, I think there's a much better chance of them seeing that. So yeah, just mix up the variety. And then again, I know a lot of people say focus on one platform. I don't necessarily agree with that either. I think there was a big push towards Instagram. But I think if you look at what's happened during lockdown and Facebook, and I think you've got a much more a broader audience, a lot more older people like my mum or my dad will be on that. They'll be in local groups, so you can share your products into those groups and get a, a much bigger reach. So I would make the effort to maybe use one or one or two more platforms as well. Jewelry shops have reopened last week. Social distancing rules are being applied. How do you both think retail will change in response to this new normal? I've seen a bit. So I know the trade mags like retail jeweler and professional jeweler have shown like beaver brooks the multiple what they've been doing so they've been putting up screens at counters having less desk space to create more space how long that lasts i, I don't know we all read different articles every day that says oh we're going to be in this way for how many weeks and then i'll read another thing saying we're going to go down to one meter distancing and today i've heard that schools won't have to have any distancing so yeah it it's going to be, I think buying jewellery is a personable experience. So do you want that plastic glass in? I know we need it for at the moment for safety and everything. But yeah, I don't know how it will it affect that personable experience when you're shopping. 
especially for an engagement ring or, or a product like that? Yeah, I, I, I think... I think definitely, you know, I feel like I've spoken to a lot of jewellers in lockdown who have continued to sell quite well online, but I feel that's through necessity. And a lot of the ones that have been really successful have already built up a good relationship with their clients. So they're building on that, those kind of personal relationships they already have. So I imagine, I agree with Andrew, I just think it is, it's a tactile experience. You want to touch it, you want to try it on, you want to, I don't know, you want to be there and fall in love with it, but also fall in love with the maker as well. So, but I, I think, I don't know, my my youngest son's gone back to school this week and there is no social distancing, I will tell you. So I, I think we're on our way out of this in terms of kind of everybody getting used to going back. The shops are open now. I know they're going to open in Scotland at the end of the month as well. So I, I think we're going to hopefully get back to normal soonish, I hope. We've all got to play by the rules and then all push forward and be positive and hopefully we'll get told week by week that everything will become easier and where people keep saying a new normal i hopeful i'm hopeful normal normal will come back um so we'll see the jury cut organizes events regularly for the jury designers and buyers and consumers and the next one is expected in september you mentioned have you had to make any changes to your format or are you hoping that that might not be necessary we had, we had a really good meeting with um, the venue. So it, last season we went to the Royal Institution in Mayfair and we're going to go back there again in September. And, you know, like everyone, we, we, ha- we didn't know what to expect because everything's changing so quickly. But we sort of, our, our, our plan, Andrew and I, was always that we decided we're going to go for it. We're going to plan everything as if it's definitely going to happen in September. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll deal with that when it happens but we had a really really positive meeting last week with the venue um, and they've kind of worked out a way where we could go and do the jewelry cut tomorrow and they are set up in a way that we can do it safely and hopefully by the time we get to the 20th and 21st of September things will have moved on but what's been really nice is for anybody who came to the event in February we were sort of kind of go up a grand staircase and then we had sort of a few rooms full of jewelry this time they've given us the entire venue so we can spread people out if we need to there'll be a waiting room so if we have to limit the number of people in any like in the building at any one time which is huge by the way so and because we're a boutique show you know we don't expect you know 3,000 people to come through the door at once we don't really have that problem so there's enough space to actually spread everyone out and also even with the talks because as, as you know, so because you've done talks there, the theatre in the Royal Institution is absolutely massive and can hold 400 people. So this time we've had to, with kind of the social distancing rules, they've done a map of the theatre. So we now have to reduce the ticket numbers to, you know, 89 people, but we can still do it. And everyone will still be, you know, spaced out enough. They even have a plan because we usually do a little kind of VIP party on the first night of the show. Um, they've worked out how we can do that with catering and keep it safe. So it's just a case of it's probably, you know, I think we've got a reputation for these kind of packed in events where everybody's sort of really close and jostling around, having a lovely time, having a glass of wine you know hugging everyone you see it might not have that vibe this time but we're hopefully going to have all the essential elements of the show we just might be a little bit sort of more spread out this time like Rachel said they were so positive on the phone they're already saying they've been sent some guidelines where within the next week or so it's down to one meter distancing in by three months time I'd love to think that that's not even required but if it is we're so ahead of the game that we're prepared if 
they've even said there'd be hand sanitizers provided on each door and each station and so it's just being well ahead of yourself to make sure we're protecting people if it comes to it and fingers crossed the world will be a much better place by then and we we won't have to but and again where Rachel mentioned we've tried to say from the start let's be positive it's going to happen I think the designers have loved that as well because where it's what's there been to look forward to a lot of them it's created that excitement and we've been able to be positive on social media and saying yeah we're doing this promote this designer I know other shows aren't going ahead in industries and they're bigger on a bigger scale but if you work towards it and plan towards something that's why we're in the position now for it to happen otherwise we might not be we we might have had to have done it at a later date but we're up to 21 exhibitors already um we're about to announce a headline sponsor so there's a lot of exciting things happening and lots of the vip visitors some of you know the department store buyers that andrew speaks to a lot of you know they're kind of desperate to get out they've been at their desk for months and i think if if all goes to plan we the jewelry got live in february will pretty much have been the last jewelry event before lockdown and it looks like the jewelry cut in september will be the first jewelry event after lockdown <laughs> so <laughs> we're kind of uh, completely unplanned but sort of hopefully we'll be kind of like dovetailing this uh crisis no oh, this is great news because indeed i think all of us are looking forward to an event <laughs> to go to again we will do the networking a little bit louder yeah just no, no kissing no kissing <laughs> but you can still come and have a drink and chat rachel you've been appointed the director of the women's jewelry network could you tell us a little bit more about what the women's jewelry network does and how do you get involved uh, yeah, so the Women's Jewelry Network started out about three years ago. So Victoria Mackay, who used to be the head of the London Diamond Board, she started it along with Catherine Bishop and uh, Nyasha Pitt as well. So Catherine and I used to work together um, at Professional Jewelers. She's now a trend forecaster. She's also head of the um, Goldsmiths Craft and Design Council. Um, and then Asha, she works for Western Beemore up in Birmingham. So they, those three girls were sort of doing their thing and have done an amazing job and I, I, I've i been involved from the start as an ambassador which means I'm sort of I represent it but you know I wasn't kind of involved at a board level um, and then yeah they asked me during lockdown actually which was a really nice thing they asked if I wanted to join the board so now I've come on as creative director which was lovely but no chance to celebrate kind of you know you kind of get a really cool appointment and you want to go I don't know have some fizz and celebrate with but we haven't been able to see each other since which has been tough but yeah the Women's Jewelry Network it was just initially set up to promote equality in the industry so it's not I know when we kind of started out people thought it was you know all man bashing um, but Andrew can tell you that it's not that way at all it's just about kind of having discussions about um, creating a sense of equality in the industry between men and women and actually we've got loads of male members uh, so you don't have to be a woman to be part of the Women's Jewelry Network. We've got loads of guys who are involved. We've got a really cool digital networking site where people come on and share ideas, uh, ask questions and talk to each other, which is really great. And then historically, I mean, obviously not in lockdown, we've done lots of events, different talks or roundtables. Uh, we did an event actually at the Jewelry Cut in September last year. So yeah, it's just, it's just really about sparking discussion and bringing everyone together, but it's a really collaborative, supportive space and I think during lockdown people have really 
they've used it quite heavily just if they have questions about you know how other people are doing or how are you dealing with shipping or how are you you know if you're updating your website it's just really kind of practical questions so yeah it's and in general we're we just want to be the voice of equality in the industry it's not even just gender-based but actually just you know making sure that everybody um, is represented fairly within the jewelry industry and trying to think of initiatives that will improve um, opportunities for a diverse jewelry industry. But if we're talking about equality, it's obviously clear that there's also inequality in the representation of black designers within the jewelry industry. Do you have any thoughts on this and what everyone, all of us listening, could be doing together, how we could change this? Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important. We've done, we've been trying to do a lot of work through the jewellery cut um, to promote that. So at the moment we, we've committed ourselves to featuring a different black jewellery designer every day for at least a month, although I think it's going to run a bit longer than that because I've got loads of great examples um, that I want to share. Um, and also we've just tried to be a platform for voices for black jewelers so satin shuri she did an instagram takeover um we had cassandra gordon who is she was a graduate of holt academy which obviously now is british academy so she's written an open letter to the jewelry industry which we published this week on the website which she talks really honestly about her experiences in the trade and i think i think that's what's really important it's actually it's her experience and I think what people really can do is listen, as you said, that's such an important thing to be doing right now, because no matter kind of what you've experienced, it's not necessarily what a black person in the jewellery industry has experienced. So the important thing is to listen to people. What do they think should be happening? What are their experiences? And then also just try and do your own bit, like no matter what it is. I know everybody really got involved in the social media campaign for Blackout Tuesday, which was great, but for now it's kind of, and this is how, I, I don't know, kind of maybe our deeper involvement in it, because we, we did that, but I just felt that that wasn't really enough. I kind of thought, you know, that's great, everybody's doing it, but what more can we do? And for us, we have a voice and we have a platform and I wanted to use that, and, you know, allow black jewelers to use that and so it's about everybody thinking about what can they do you know whether it's small things like even just you know talking to your kids about racism for me I, I do that all the time with my kids so we've had really quite in-depth discussions about it especially with all the protests that have been going on and I took them down to a protest in Brighton as well so we went out and we kind of we stood with everyone there and I think that's important um, or if you have a business is there something that you can do to help kind of level the playing field for black jewelers can can you set up a hardship fund can you offer an apprenticeship can you promote designers through your own website it's just it's just i don't know everybody's different and it's just it's about doing something um whatever you can do and i think don't be afraid of that i think a lot of people who aren't black are afraid to get involved in the discussion because they don't know if it's their place they don't know if they should be doing but i've had loads of conversations and they're difficult conversations to, you know I am a white middle class woman it's you know what I mean I am these are difficult conversations for me to have but I've been having them with lots of different black jewelers in the industry just to kind of find out how they feel about it and what they want and I think what of them have said is they just they do actually want people to reach out and they do want people to speak and ask questions and then it is about getting involved in whatever way you can and you shouldn't really be afraid to do that because you're worried about it not looking right or I don't know any potential backlash yeah you're probably going to make mistakes along the way but that's all part of the discussion it's part of moving forward so I would say to anybody who does want to get involved that that's a good thing and just to do 
just really have a look at you know what your strengths are and how you can maybe use that to benefit other people you think that's beautifully said yeah I, I just think it's easy for people to take that message wrong I, i've seen a lot of all lives matter but it's, that's not the point the point of black lives matter is their voices being heard and i think if if i look back over the last 10 years in the industry and if i go to big associations or big events how diverse is that community at that level and it isn't and that could be for any reasons it, that people aren't in places or positions but we need to be having those conversations to find out why so i don't it's i've seen people on facebook come i put a post out in a, a jewelers group this week and people took it personally no but we're we're open to any race we get that but the point is let's open those conversations up and not shout at each other it's um it's try, trying to get it out there i'd say the same I, i've grown up in croydon and it's so diverse with it's such a all different communities um so yeah i think it is important there was a really nice quote i saw white privilege doesn't mean your life hasn't been hard it just means the color of your skin isn't one of the things that makes it harder baj is a really diverse group of students but when i look at people entering the industry and it's still not diverse enough so we need to do more i think i, th I think that's a really good point because i'm i'm writing an article at the moment for retail jeweler looking at this and kind of the issues with the problems around you know what is stopping it and one of the things is i i know that british academy of jewelry has really diverse student body but if you looked at your student body and then look at the industry it doesn't match up so it's kind of like what's happening in the middle what are the problems what are the barriers um and a lot of it you know i mentioned earlier quite a, a blunt thing that a lot of designers face is like money issues you know it's financial and actually as cassandra gordon mentioned in her um open letter she wrote for us it's just actually a lot of black jews are coming from kind of you know disadvantaged socio-economic background and actually can't you know fund the launch for collections so is there is there things that the industry can do to step in at that point between education and profession and say okay great we can we can help you or we can support you or just look at things to do in that middle space like what can we do to try and and make the industry more diverse because obviously there's an interest but it's just not translating through to um people taking jewelry up as a career and is this something the women's jewelry network is also going to be looking at or do you think there is really a need for other bodies to also start these conversations i think every body should be looking at it i think one of the things cassandra brought up in her letter which is quite right is that when coronavirus happened every single body came out and did something instantly every jeweler was talking about it but when we have this kind of crisis which is a crisis with black lives matter has has the response been the same i haven't seen you know well they might be working on it in the background it's been a few weeks now i've seen nothing from the nej i've seen you know nothing from goldsmith center or the goldsmith company and i will massively apologize if that's incorrect i just haven't seen it but it feels like there hasn't been an industry response to it um, and the women's jewelry network we are definitely doing something about it so one of the directors is nyasha pitt who is black and who is very much involved in the black lives matter movement so she's obviously very invested in that so we and part of our mission as well is while we've kind of started to readdress you know gender inequalities the idea is the Women's Jewelry Network evolves and move on is that we look at other kinds of inequalities, whether those are, I don't know, kind of 
class inequalities, financial inequalities, whether race inequalities, it's kind of looking at things that we can do. So 100% that is something that we will definitely be tackling and hopefully working with lots of different trade bodies for really kind of meaningful things that can be done rather than perhaps stuff that, you know, people do just to, just for marketing purposes to look like they um, empathize with the cause. It's like, actually, I think we need the next step now. Like what can we actually do? What action can we take? That's really encouraging to hear. Thank you, Rachel. The lockdown for some has been a moment of reflection and creativity. Have either of you seen anything that is really worth mentioning? Great innovations during these challenging times. There's one that I really love, but I think she did actually release it just before lockdown. So I don't know if it technically counts, but I would love to mention there's a designer called Annabella Chan who has created, she, she sort of uses lab-grown gemstones, but makes these real kind of red carpet-worthy jewels. And she's just created a collection that is uses aluminium in place of gold, but it's actually all from crushed cans. So she's kind of literally cut up all these cans, melted them down, and then she's turned them into these amazing red carpet jewels. And for me, that was just, it's, yeah, quite, quite mind-blowing. Yeah, so not not necessarily lockdown, but uh, a really good one. But in, in terms of lockdown, I, I think it's more, there's been lots of people working on designs, which is great. But for me, it's just like the spirit of everyone has been really inspiring, you know. Yeah, the charitable side of it, to see all of that going on and the help for the NHS staff, which is well deserved. There's probably too many to mention, but it's just been good to see. I know the BAJ have just uh, launched their campaign as well, Pin for Praise. So it, it's campaigns like that, which have been nice to see and I've spoke to a lot of designers during the lockdown where it's quite easy to get downbeat but even if you're not working on your own design and you're doing a project like that which is something positive it helps keep people's chin, chins up so yeah it's been nice to sit there and scroll on the phone and see everyone get creative. You both have been in lockdown also can you tell us what you have been working on to keep busy and positive in these challenging times and whether there is anything you are personally taking away from the experience? I feel like I have not stopped in lockdown. <laughs> I'm, I'm really jealous when I see everybody talking about, you know, like things to do when you're bored in lockdown because that has not been my experience whatsoever. Um, I think I've been, I've been really lucky. So I, I had a couple of yeah, a couple of quiet weeks at the start work-wise, but since then it's just never stopped. It's been really busy with work, which has been great and feel really lucky. So I've got two kids at home, so they are age six and ten, um, and we've had to homeschool them. So that's been a challenge. It's been really great. I thought I was going to hate homeschooling, but I've absolutely loved it and the kids have responded really well to it which has been great um but it does it is a challenge then i kind of spending half a day schooling them so my husband and i've got a strict ritual where we swap over um in the afternoons but to kind of squeeze your full-time job into that and homeschool and also just being at home more which comes with an amazing amount of ex extra domestic chores like everybody needs to eat which is really annoying like all the time yeah it's just kind of been non-stop and then I've kind of had we've obviously been building up for the jewelry cut and then I'm a director now at the women's jewelry network so I've kind of had that on the side so yeah I've just I've not really had much of a chance to think about staying up the oh actually I've started running 
that is my one thing, which has been, um, I'm in no way normally usually a sporty person, but I just needed a bit of time to myself, like out of the house. And I started doing that couch to 5k thing, which has been amazing. Um, and I'm totally into it. So I'm kind of running three times a week now, which yeah, has been kind of, yeah, revolutionary. So that's actually been really good and has kind of kept me quite sane as well. <laughs> Andrew, what have you been up to? I started back helping BAJ which has been good because it's probably been a year and a half. So it's been nice to see some old faces with some of the tutors and to look at some of the new students and what they're working on. On my personal clients, so brands that I help, because of lockdown and stores being closed, obviously they're not buying in. So I've actually been on pools with a few of them. So yeah, pushing hard with the jewellery cut. So I think we're in a good place there with that, which is exciting. And then yeah, a bit more time to myself. I live on my own, so that's a bit lonely, but I live on a nature reserve, so I can go for nice walks. And then my cat's been loving it because I'm here all the time when I'm not usually. So yeah, she's looking at me now actually thinking, when can I go? come and sit on your lap? Yeah, and just trying to be positive for people because I know how difficult it is. And I speak to a lot of designers, so where they're feeling downbeat, I try and be someone to bounce off and positive and try and make everyone think, look, we will come out of this. And uh we will make it through so looking looking forward to the next couple of weeks and everything being open restaurants as well and the pub i'm back to a restaurant (laughs) even though we are having to adapt to a new normal i can see this will inevitably lead to innovations that potentially could outlast the current circumstances i would like to thank rachel and andrew very much for brainstorming with me on this topic and more i look forward to see what the jewelry cut will be up to next and i'll certainly be there in the next event thank you sophie Thanks, <laughs> next week i'll be joined by another guest so watch the space to find out who it is for now this was sophie boons for the lockdown series of the bha podcast titled Promotion Networking Showcasing in conversation with Rachel Taylor and Andrew Martinuk. I wish you a good rest of the week and thank you for listening. Test, test. That's really encouraging to hear. Thank you, Rachel. Over to my next question.